Hi everyone, I'm Gary Knoll. A quiet show, lots of insights. We're going to talk a little bit about COVID, but more importantly, we're going to talk about other things that can inspire us. For example, we're going to be looking at how empathy can play an important role in our lives. Who's giving us this insight? Simon Sinek. The best of the best is when we can not just feel for other people, but we can act on their behalf. I think that's one of the gifts that I was given by my mother. We came from a very common working-class background, nothing fancy, but everything appreciated. And the one thing that she said to me above all else is, if you ever get to a place in life where you have any gifts, remember those gifts only have value if you can share them or give them with others. So what if we all did that? What if we all live by the idea that a child hungry anywhere in the world is one too many children that's hungry? And someone who is facing challenges beyond their control, shouldn't we lend a hand? I believe we should. So we're going to talk about that today. Also, I'd like you to call in right after Health and Nutrition, which I've got some really interesting new uh, studies to share with you, always the latest cutting edge to help us live a longer and healthier life. All of the information I share, by the way, on health comes from the peer-reviewed journals on PubMed. So it's science-based. And someone learning this for the first time say, why? No one else has to say where something comes from. It's because this is the number one health program in all of America and has been for over a half a century. So people who otherwise would not come because, oh, that's just all, you know, pseudoscience and quackery and speculation and opinion. No, it's not. It's good quality science. That's why we have so many physicians and scientists who and doctors, nurses, who listen each day and share the information. So you can trust sharing this information, that it's accurate. Now also today... There are two issues I'd like you to address. Actually, three. Three issues. Choose whichever you'd like to. One is that probably the single most important voice for freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of speech, in Hong Kong is Jimmy Lai, L-A-I. And he is now in prison, at least for a year. He did nothing that it was wrong, illegal, immoral, unethical. But the Chinese government saw him as a threat because he also has the number one newspaper that he founded in Hong Kong. And so all of his journalists writing for him were not pro-China's heavy-handedness. So he spoke out, knowing that it would cost him. We're going to play you a little clip from the last interview he did before they put him in jail very recently. And it's interesting if... I'm not sure you can watch it or not. Uh, I'll get that word in a moment. You certainly can watch it over PRN.FM on the download. Uh, I, maybe you can or maybe you can't watch it if, when you go to PRN.FM in real time. But in any case, if you have a chance to watch that, uh, there's a point where he's asked, you do realize that this is going to be a problem for you and your family and others. And he stops. He gets choked up. Yes, I know. Think of the courage it takes for a human being to know that everything they've worked for, arriving with one dollar from mainland China as a kid, and he built himself to be a billionaire and is known as a very ethical person. Imagine you're going to lose everything. You're going to be trashed and disgraced. Everything you've built will be gone possibly even your legacy, except for all the young people who are pro-democracy. What has our government done? Nothing. Nothing. Because Jimmy Lai and his peaceful uh, efforts are not important. Trade with China is. That's one. The second one is Bill Gates has a very strong a depopulation agenda. That's not a conspiracy. You'll hear it in his own words repeatedly. But why hasn't the media called him out? Why have not the ethicists 
why have not the psychologists and the people within the mental health field say, do you realize what it means when the most powerful person right now on the planet, not the president of the United States, he's a joke, but the people who are really powerful, like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and, uh, and others, when they say that 10 to 15% of the population we can get rid of. And then he talks about how he would do it. Listen to what he's saying. He's telling you. And we have the absolute irrefutable concrete prima facie proof because he put it, uh, the vaccines out there through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It was it, The vaccines were causing sterility. And who? Wealthy billionaires' wives? No. No. And Wall Street wives? No. No. How about celebrities? That's it. Do we really need another uh, kid from the Kardashians? No. They're not going to be sterilized. Poor people in Africa. Well, isn't that by its very nature systemic racism? Yes. Is he being called out? No. Why not? Where is the woke generation challenging the most unwoke person on earth? Where's the hypocrisy here? Why hasn't the media because it's complicit. Why isn't NPR? Oh, I forgot they got money. Oh, how about PBS? Oh, damn, they got money from Bill Gates. What about the World Health, World Health Organization? Oh, he supports more money to the World Health Organization than the United States government, second only to China. He's got money everywhere. Do you remember the movie The uh, Godfather where they were sitting at the table uh, after... Uh, after his son had been killed and uh, Don Corleone talked about, I'm a generous person. I'll help you. Well, you control. Yeah, he controlled all the judges, the police. So no matter what crime he committed, he wasn't going to go to jail for it. Do you think it's any different today, except it doesn't cause it, call itself organized crime? People who have one set of laws for every one of us and a different set for themselves. What do you think about that? You'll hear Bill Gates in his own words. Then you decide. And finally, and for me, the most important, and that is I'm going to read you some comments and have my own commentary on one of the most pro profound thinkers of the 20th century, Aldous Huxley. And he created a concept called SOMA, S-O-M-A. And when you took SOMA, it'd be like today taking Prozac. Um, you went into this la-la land, well, guess what? They now have the technology promoted and developed by Elon Musk that can go in and download your thoughts and market them. Yes, not science fiction, science fact. We're posting the articles. So what does it say when, and let me give you the larger overview here for a moment. I believe that nothing is going to change for the positive in any of our lives in the near future. The only way anything can change at this point is for everything to break. Where there is so much pain, and you've heard me say many times, you'll never see Americans, you'll never see that 150 million majority of Americans of all colors, all ethnic backgrounds, all cultures, they will not protest until there's so much pain they have no choice. We're going to approach that so much pain we have no choice within the next 16 months or sooner. And that's only because they will be so controlled. Everything in your life will be controlled. Remember I said the worst part is not corona, as bad as that is, as devastating as it's been for the people who committed suicide, people who have died. No. What's about to happen and is happening, and it's happening so fast. And this is my point. I believe that the people in power, all the people in power, corporate power who are now Coca-Cola telling us what we should do about laws, voting laws in Georgia. Well, whatever you want to think of the voting laws in Georgia, you can think about them. Do your own homework before or against them. But where's Coca-Cola who provides so much sugary junk and causes so many conditions from obesity to dental caries and everything else? Where does it become the great oracle uh, to us on all matters? I don't care what Michael Jordan thinks. I don't care what any athlete thinks. You're paid to be a good performer in an athletic event. I don't give a damn about your other thoughts. You're functionally illiterate about everything. 
except, by the way, how you make your own money and where those big bonus checks and those endorsement checks from slave labor come from. Oh, not a word on that. No, we can't do that. So then, are we approaching a warp speed of change? Now we want to change the Constitution so that we have another six members of the Supreme Court. That was tried by when? Back in mid-1930s, 36, by FDR. It didn't work. And it shouldn't work now. Then it's all political. I want to bring in District of Columbia and Puerto Rico as states. Well, that gives four extra senators. So then you'll have, just listen to what I'm saying, you'll have one ruling party controlled by special interest groups. So who's going to control America is not the Joe Bidens. They'll come and go, and he'll be in a nursing home. And, and all the other people to be shown for being the, the, the opportunists they are. The corporate interests that control them, and they do, will run America, run the world. They already do. Now they're just coming forward. We've already seen corporations such as Facebook and Twitter and Google and Wikipedia and we know how utterly, contemptibly uh, out of alignment they are with freedom, our freedom. So now imagine that you're being woke by a completely intellectually, morally, and philosophically corrupt group of idiots. Total, blithering, young, inexperienced of the world idiots. Entitled, bubble-raised uh, um, neophytes. But they have power. And suddenly a tiny, tiny minority is making policy that suddenly everyone else is supposed to live by. That's one. The corruption of our political system, that's two. The corruption in the media, that's three. The latest example being from Veritas. Of course, he was banned on Twitter immediately. I don't know the man, never met him. But it was very revealing when he went undercover, and or a woman went undercover, and was got one of the directors, technology directors of CNN, one of the top people, to admit that all they've done is try to control the political outcomes and, and scare people. Yeah. So now, and that came, quote, right from the top. So the media is utterly corrupt. The whole Russiagate, that's all corruption of the media. So you've got no one in the media you're going to trust, the mainstream media. You've got no one in the bodily politics you can trust. You got no one in the general larger corporations you can trust, and now we have vaccine and and the lockdowns, and now the vaccine cards, implanted chips, and no future for most people. Only those who conform will be even allowed in certain places. That's five major changes in our lifetime, and now we have racism everywhere. Not because there's racism, but because there's race baiting, and people are not giving any respect whatsoever to all the great strides made, the laws passed, the cooperation, the conciliation, the working together that we've had for a long time. But that's not good because you don't want people of different colors, races, ethnicities, and cultures working together because they might actually see who is causing all these people to fight one another. The people who are standing like Nero and looking at all the Christians and saying thumbs up or thumbs down. Actually, they never did that. There was no such thing as thumbs up or thumbs down. But deciding who lives and who dies for the benefit of those who will never be in that risk position, but everyone else in that risk position. They're looking at us like gods from Olympia looking down on us. Wow. So all these changes people are supposed to make instantaneously, all these in the last three months, that's why I believe we're about to collapse into all forms of conflict. I don't want to see that. I'm opposed to that. But I see nothing else is going to happen. I want your thoughts now. I'll tell you a little bit more after I read my comments. So we have a lot to share today. And we always begin, of course, with the latest on health and healing. And the first thing up is that alpha, that's A-L-P-H-A, Lipoic, L-I-P-O-I-C, acid, supports healthy inflammatory response in the mycoglial cells. This is from Kongyang University in South Korea. And what it's simply saying is that we have amyloid beta. That's the hallmark of Alzheimer's. 
and the microglia can be activated in the presence of the amyloid beta. Activated microglia secrete pro-inflammatory cytokines. And uh, so anything that can stop that inflammatory process, in other words, put water on the fire before it starts, that's what it does. It's terrific. It's simply one of the best antioxidants you can take into your body, alpha lipoic acid. Also from Kermasha University of Medical Science in Iran comes a study on vitamin D supplementation can improve autism spectrum disorder symptoms. And uh, this was done on a group of children, and it was found to be substantially beneficial in dealing with the symptoms of autism. That's just one nutrient. And by the way, for those of you who are over the age of 40 and starting to see your muscles shrink and your body posture change and your once flat belly, even with abs, now become distended with that little belly fat, there's something you can use. This was published in Nutrition Reviews. If you supplement with the amino acids creatine, C-R-E-A-T-I-N-E, beta-hydroxy-beta, or I'll just make it easy, H-M-B. It's a metabolite of the amino acid uh, leucine, L-E-U-C-I-N-E. So just make sure you get that, and that improves muscle mass. All right? I'll give it to you again. H-M-B and creatine. Now, this is in addition to the branched-chain amino acids. Also, um, damaged muscles don't just die. They regenerate themselves. Now, this is new research from Kumamoto University and Nagasaki University, both from Japan. They found that components leaking from broken muscle fibers activate satellite muscle stem cells. And that, in turn... Uh, sets into motion how cells rejuvenate themselves. And skeletal muscle is made up of bundles of contracting muscle fibers, and each muscle fiber is surrounded by satellite cells and muscle stem cells that can produce new muscle fibers. So, and thanks to the work of these satellite cells, muscle fibers can be regenerated even after being bruised or torn during intense exercise. Satellite cells also play essential roles in muscle, muscle growth during developmental stages and muscle hypertrophy during strength training. So just something to realize that you may have some damaged, injured muscles, but by using stem cell therapy, it can be reversed and your body get back into shape. Also, musical training can improve attention and working memory in children. Uh, This is from Catholic University in Chile, published in Frontiers Neuroscience. So neuroscientists have found new evidence that learning to play an instrument may be good for the brain. Musically trained children perform better at attention and memory recall and have greater activation in brain regions related to attention control and auditory encoding. Those are executive functions known to be associated with improving reading and higher resilience and greater creativity and even a better quality of life. But I believe you're never too old to learn how to play a musical instrument, and it works later in life as well. And one final thing, uh, trees prevent disease. Yeah, University of Vermont. Americans have an obsession with chopping down trees, whether it's uh, over pruning their yards or corporate paving of paradise to put up a parking lot. Trees go down. Trees collapse during natural disasters like hurricanes and fires. In other countries, though, the presence of trees can be the difference in, of life and death. University of Mont-led study of 300,000 children in 35 nations says kids whose watersheds have greater tree cover are less likely to experience diarrheal diseases, the second leading cause of death for children under the age of five. This was published in Nature Communications. This is the study. It's the first to quantify the connection between different types of quality of life and children's health outcome on a global scale. So it's a big deal. So I'm just suggesting that we pay attention to this. We're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we're going to go directly into our first 
um, audio file, and all these are short audio audio files. But remember, you can call in now anytime for the remainder of the show and share your points of view. 888-874-488. I've given you three topics to think about. Remember, the topic on Bill Gates, in effect, determining how many people should live and how many should die. And what kind of science do we need to control population growth, to control people from having children? Of course, the people that shouldn't have children, in his view, and others who are the the pro-supportive of eugenics, want those people of color living in poor regions of the world because, after all, they they consume and they don't produce, or for whatever other reason he hasn't shared yet. So you'll hear that. Then you can call in. Then we're going to play a clip, very positive clip, uh, about empathy. And then I'll give you some insights on Aldous Huxley you may not have known and why we are really approaching that point. In fact, let me just do it right now. <clears throat> Back in 1958, um, there was a big push to start looking at pharmacology uh, as a use in propaganda. In effect, the whole idea was how do you get people to accept their own enslavement. Look right now at COVID. That's why I want to do this today. Because more and more people are saying, yes, long lines to go get your vaccine. And it's just an experimental vaccine. And now we're seeing a lot of adverse effects. A lot. I'm going to deal with that on my next show. Things that are now popping up that I was fearful would happen. And boy, they're breaking out all over the place. And not just a few from blood clots. We have one of the world's leading experts going to talk about that. So what we have is we have too many people simply accepting the outcome of whatever they're told to do. And they're accepting the outcome of whatever the media tells them. According to Isaac Davis in Waking Times, and good for him for coming up with this concept, quote, three important axioms stand out. People are much easier to control when they love their slavery. People in fear are very easy to control, and individualism is dangerous to the state. So all you independent thinkers out there, you're a danger. Your independence is a threat. And why do you think in every single revolution? Now think of this. Pol Pot in Cambodia, um, Mao in China, and Stalin in Russia, and Hitler in Germany. Who did they destroy first and put in prison first, kill first? And even Castro in Cuba. The intellects that would support a challenge to their power. The artists who were not afraid to demonstrate through writing, through art, the corruption within the narcissistic person who is hell-bent on controlling everything, even if it means genocide. So Huxley wrote a dystopian novel. It was called Brave New World. It was written a long time ago. Let's see, it's 90 years And he had really relevant insights. What he saw was the emergence of the global technocratic super state, of which pharmaceutical companies played a critical, important role, and terrorism is always lurking in the background as a threat. So look at 9-11, terrorists coming to America. 9-11, the Patriot Act, the National Defense Authorization Act. Everybody has to, you know, be screened at... uh, at airports, etc. Look at the pharmaceutical industry today. Dealing with depression, don't go talk therapy, don't go into nature and meditate. No, take Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft. And as a result, what we have is we have a fictional world becoming our real and current world. Here's what Huxley had to say. Quote, obviously the passion of power is one of the most moving passions that exist in man. And after all, all democracies are based upon the proposition that power is very dangerous and that it's extremely important not to let any one person or another small group have too much power for too long a time. After all, what are the British and American Constitution except devices for limiting power? And all these new devices are extremely efficient instruments for the imposition of power by small groups over larger masses, end quote. Look at the small groups on campuses 
controlling free speech. If you don't agree with them, you can't speak. Think of the whole subclass of people in this culture who say anything you say or do, even the expression on your face is a microaggression, therefore you're threatening their very existence, and therefore you should be shamed. Think of professors that can't teach and have open discussion because of fear that somehow one of these woke people will give a Title IX and make them uh, be erased from that curriculum. Today, more than 40 million Americans regularly take antidepressants. That's a testament to the omnipresence of the pharmaceutical state. And yet, billions are now expected to take the vaccine. Line up, take the vaccine. Huxley foresaw all of this, and it's all a matter of control. And therefore, people need to love their slavery. And new drugs can really help with that. So, think of that. He called it the Soma, which was a very versatile drug. It would make people feel happy in small doses. It can make them see visions in medium doses, and it would send them to sleep in large doses. This is the pharmacological revolution which is taking place, a vaccine for everything. Don't do anything to prevent disease. Don't, don't prevent a virus. Don't, don't prevent with vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc and selenium. No, 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 no. Don't take an inexpensive proven uh, drug like ivermectin at three milligrams, uh, every three hours if you're infected. No, 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 no. Don't don't take hydroxychloroquine and zinc and zithromycin. No, no, no. No, no. No. Do what you're told. Uh, and that's where we're at. So Aldous Huxley is alive and well today, not as fiction but as fact. Your thoughts, please. 888-874-488. Back in a moment with, in his own words, Bill Gates. And he's the man behind... All the industrial farming, he's behind remote learning so you don't have to go into schools, and uh, he's behind the vaccine campaign worldwide, he's behind all the seed clouding, he's behind all this, and he's got legions of academics, media, politicians in his pocket. really grabbed me as, as urgent uh, was were issues related to population. In 1998, Dr. Zabin became the founding director of the Bill and Melinda Gates Institute for Population Control. Bill and Melinda Gates Institute for Population Control. So we see a lot of things uh, that are going very well, uh, things like reducing child to death and... Uh, reducing child to death and... Uh, First, we've got population. Now, the world today has 6.8 billion people that's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. New vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. The problem is that the population is growing the fastest where people are less able to deal with it. So it's in the very poorest places that you're going to have a tripling in population by 2050. And so their ability to feed, educate, provide jobs, stability, protect the environment in those locations mean uh, you know, they're faced with an almost impossible problem. Here we can see a chart that looks at the total world population over the last several hundred years. And at first glance, this is a bit scary. We go from less than a billion in 1800, and then three, four, five, six, and 7.4 billion where we are today is happening even faster. So Melinda and I wondered whether providing new medicines and keeping children alive, would that create more of a population problem? And what the developing world does not need is more children. Hmm. And I think that was the biggest aha to Bill and me when we got into this work, is we asked ourselves, of course, the same hard-nosed question you'd ask, which is, if you get into this work and you start to save these children, will women just keep overpopulating the world? And thank goodness the converse is absolutely true. This is a very important question to get right, because it was, it was absolutely key for me. When our foundation first started up, it was focused on reproductive health. That was the main thing we did because I thought, you know, population growth in poor countries 
is the biggest problem they face. You've got to help mothers who want to limit family size have the tools and education to do that. And that's the only thing that really counts. Is spending a million dollars on that last three months of life for that patient, would it be better not to lay off the, those 10 teachers and to make that trade off in medical costs? But that's called the death panel. Uh, and you're not supposed to have that discussion. And you're not supposed to have that discussion. Behind closed doors on this New York campus, a secret gathering of some of the world's most powerful people. Gates, Buffett, Bloomberg, Winfrey. It was like, well, it was like the Super Friends. Together with others at the meeting, including George Soros, Ted Turner, David Rockefeller, they're worth more than $125 billion. That much money, that much power around one table. It begs the question, what were they doing? What were they scheming? Total world domination? This group, together for six hours, was talking about charity, education, emergency relief, global health, the new Superman and Wonder Woman, the super rich friends, not fighting bad guys, but fighting for good nonetheless. Apparently one of the things they discussed was what each of them knows about what really works and what doesn't work so they can concentrate their resources. Total world domination? An epidemic, either naturally caused or intentionally caused, is the most likely thing to cause, say, 10 million excess deaths. Today, the greatest risk of global catastrophe doesn't look like this. Instead, it looks like this. If anything kills over 10 million people in the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus rather than a war. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Now uh, that's back from high school algebra, but let's, let's take a look. Probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Now, malaria is, of course, transmitted by mosquitoes. Uh, I brought some here so you could uh, experience this. We'll let, let those roam around the uh, auditorium a little bit. There. There's no reason only poor people should have, have the experience. Uh, but did you come to... Okay, and it goes on from there with a lot more such statements. Why is it that no one in the media, none of the ethicists, have questioned him on this plan? And since when did Oprah Winfrey get elected to be a policymaker on anything? Why doesn't she take a good look into her own life? Is she a happy, healthy, balanced person? Well, I don't want someone assuming that they have a right to be a policymaker and opinion leader when the outcome can be devastating to the rest of us. Your thoughts. Now we're going to go to a different one altogether. This is Simon Sinek on empathy. So I'm embarrassed that I have a career. I talk about things like trust and cooperation, and there should be no demand for my work. But the fact of the matter is, is there is demand for my work, which means that there's an opportunity. It means that trust and cooperation are not yet standard in our organizations, and yet they should be, and we know that, which is why we're looking for ways to bring those things to our organizations. So I thought I would do something a little different today. You know, when you're speaking to tens of thousands of people and you have the opportunity to share a message, of course, most rational people would say, let's go with something I've talked about lots of times and I'm really good at, but I'm not normal, so I'm going to do something completely new, and I hope this works out. Um, there are two things that I think that great leaders need to have, empathy and perspective. And I think these things are very often forgotten. Leaders are so often so concerned about their status or their position in an organization, they actually forget their real job. And the real job of a leader is not about being in charge, it's about taking care of those in our charge. And I don't think people realize this, and I don't think people train for this. When we're junior, our only responsibility is to be good at our jobs. That's all we really have to do. And some people actually go get advanced educations on, so that they can be really good at their jobs, accountants or whatever, right? And you show up and you work hard and the company will give us tons and tons of training how to do our jobs. They'll show us how to use the software, they'll send us away for a few days to get trained 
in whatever it is that we're doing for the company. And then they expect us to go be good at our jobs. And that's what we do. We work very hard. And if you're good at your job, uh, they'll promote you. And at some point, you'll get promoted to a position where we're now responsible for the people who do the job we used to do, but nobody shows us how to do that. And that's why we get managers and not leaders. Because the reason our managers are micromanaging us is because they actually do know how to do, do, do the job better than us. That's what got them promoted. Really what we have to do is go through a transition. Some people make it quickly, some people make it slowly, and unfortunately some people will never make that transition at all. Which is we have to go this, through this transition of being responsible for the job and then turning into somebody who's now responsible for the people who are responsible for the job. And as I said before, one of the great things that is lacking in most of our companies is that they are not teaching us how to lead. And leadership is a skill like any other. It is a practicable, learnable skill. And it is something that you work on. It's like a muscle. If you practice it all the days, uh, you will get good at it and you will get, become a strong leader. If you stop practicing, you will become a weak leader. Like parenting, everyone has the capacity to be a parent. Doesn't mean everybody wants to be a parent. And doesn't mean everybody should be a parent. Leadership is the same. We all have the capacity to be a leader. Doesn't mean everybody should be a leader. And it doesn't mean everybody wants to be a leader. And the reason is because it comes at great personal sacrifice. Remember, you're not in charge. You're responsible for those in your charge. That means things like when everything goes right, you have to give away all the credit. And when everything goes wrong, you have to take all the responsibility. That sucks, right? It's things like staying late to show somebody what to do. It's things like when something does actually break, when something goes wrong, instead of yelling and screaming and taking over, you say, try again. When the overwhelming pressures are not on them, the overwhelming pressures are on us. At the end of the day, great leaders are not responsible for the job. They're responsible for the people who are responsible for the job. They're not even responsible for the results. I love talking to CEOs and say, what's your priority? And they put their hands on their hips all proudly and say, my priority is my customer. I'm like, really? You haven't talked to a customer in 15 years. <laughs> There's no CEO on the planet responsible for the customer. They're just not. They're responsible for the people who are responsible for the people who are responsible for the customer. I'll tell you a true story. A few months ago, I stayed at the Four Seasons in Las Vegas. It is a wonderful hotel. And the reason it's a wonderful hotel is not because of the fancy beds. Any hotel can go and buy a fancy bed. The reason it's a wonderful hotel is because of the people who work there. If you walk past somebody at the Four Seasons and, this, and they say hello to you, you get the feeling that they actually wanted to say hello to you. It's not that somebody told them that you have to say hello to all the customers, say hello to all the guests, right? You actually feel that they care. Now in their lobby, they have a coffee stand. And I, one afternoon, I went to buy a cup of coffee, and there was a barista by the name of Noah who was serving me. Noah was fantastic. He was friendly and fun, and he was engaging with me, and I had so much fun buying a cup of coffee, I actually think I gave a 100% tip, right? He was wonderful. So as is my nature, I asked Noah, do you like your job? And without skipping a beat, Noah says, I love my job. And so I followed up. I said, what is it that the Four Seasons is doing that would make you say to me, I love my job. And without skipping a beat, Noah said, throughout the day, managers will walk past me and ask me how I'm doing, if there's anything that I need to do my job better. He said, not just my manager, any manager. And then he said something magical. He says, I also work at Caesar's Palace. And Caesar's, at Caesar's Palace, the managers are trying to make sure we're doing everything right. They catch us when we do things wrong. He says, when I go to work there, I like to keep my head under the radar and just get through the day so I can get my paycheck. He says, here at the Four Seasons, I feel I can be myself. Same person, entirely a different experience from the, from the customer who will engage with Noah. So we in leadership are always criticizing the people. We're always saying, we've got to get the right people on the bus. I've got to fill my, wrong, my team. I've got to get the right people. But the reality is, it's not the people. It's the leadership. If we create the right environment, we will get people like Noah 
at the Four Seasons. If we create the wrong environment, we will get people like Noah at Caesar's palace. It's not the people. And yet we're so quick to hire and fire. You can't hire and fire your children. If, there's, if your kids are struggling, we don't say, you got to see at school, you're up for adoption. <laughs> so why is it that when somebody has performance problems at work, why is it that our instinct is to say, you're out? We do not practice empathy. What does empathy look like? Here's the lack of empathy. This is normal in our business world. You walk into someone's office, someone walks into our office and says, your numbers have been down for the third quarter in a row. You have to pick up your numbers, otherwise I can't guarantee what the future will look like. How inspired do you think that person is to come to work the next day? Here's what empathy looks like. You walk into someone's office, someone walks into your office and says, your numbers are down for the third quarter in a row. Are you okay? I'm worried about you. What's going on? We all have performance issues. Maybe someone's kid is sick. Maybe they're having problems in their marriage. Maybe one of their parents is dying. We don't know what's going on in their lives. And of course it will affect performance at work. Empathy is being concerned about the human being, not just their output. We have, for some reason, our work world has changed over the past 20 and 30 years. We are suffering the side effects of business theories left over from the 80s and 90s. And they are bad for people, and they are bad for business. Let me give you an example. The concept of shareholder supremacy was a theory proposed in the late 1970s. It it was popularized in the 80s and 90s. It is now standard form today. You talk to any public company, and you ask them their priority, and they say, maximize shareholder value. Really? That's like a coach prioritizing the needs of the fans over the needs of the players. How are you going to build a winning team with that model? But that's normal today. We don't even perceive it as broken or damaged or wrong or outdated. Remember, the 80s and 90s were boom years with relative peace and a kinder, gentler Cold War. Nobody was practicing hiding under their desks in school anymore. We are no longer in those times. These are no longer boom years. These are no longer peaceful times, and those models cannot work today. Here's another one. Mass layoffs. Using someone's livelihood to balance the books, right? It's so normal in America today that we don't even understand how broken and how damaging it is, not only to human beings, but to business. You know, companies talk about how they want to build trust and cooperation, and they announce a round of layoffs. Do you know the quickest way to destroy trust and destroy cooperation in a business, literally in one day? Lay people off, and everyone gets scared. Right? Can you imagine sending someone home to say, honey, I can no longer provide for our family because the company missed its arbitrary projections this year? And forget about the people who lost their job. Think about the people who kept their jobs. Because every single decision a company makes is a piece of communication. And the company, the company has just communicated to everybody else, this is not a meritocracy. We don't care how hard you work or how long you've worked here. If we miss our numbers and you happen to fall on the wrong side of the spreadsheet, I'm sorry. Okay, well said. Another five minutes, you can go to PRN.FM to download it. How powerful were those statements? And yet all of us at some point in our life or many times in our life have found ourselves being judged not by our competence, our qualification, our meritocracy, how hard or well we've worked, but rather mismanagement, making decisions. Management never fires itself. Instead, they fire everyone else who wasn't, weren't there at the table making the decisions. Your thoughts. All right. We're going to take some calls now. Uh, let's say hello to Cynthia from New Jersey. Hi, Cynthia. Your turn. You're on the air. Hi, Gary. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I am a nurse practitioner. I work as a primary care provider in New Jersey, um, and I'm one of those independent thinkers, which is a very scary thing to be right now in medicine. Um, I, I, at some point in the last several months, I went to my boss who, you know, in New Jersey, you need a collaborating physician and showed him tons of research on ivermectin and the protocols that I wanted to try to implement and basically said, I cannot ethically watch people die when there's something that I can do. And um, luckily he, 
you know, agree. He let me do it. I, I couldn't do it without his permission. So, of course, I have to put all kinds of disclaimers when I speak to people about it. Um, and everyone that I have treated with the um, supplement protocol that I use and uh, the medication protocol has stayed out of the hospital and um, recovered without any long-haul symptoms whatsoever. So, um, But still, the other three providers in my office will not, despite the success that I've had with patients, um, adopt, adopt that. And it's really brought me to this place of, I've always felt like an outsider because I'm a functional medicine provider. I do a lot of spiritual counseling. You know, I, I treat the whole person. And um, I, I'm feeling like I am such an outlier now. And the pressure to um, encourage everyone to get their vaccine um, is, is it's so it's so omnipresent anymore um, to the point where I'm thinking, I don't know what my days in medicine are going to be like, but it's risky as a provider to take that step and do something that's not quote unquote approved. Um, so, and then of course, all of my patients are, you know, did you get your vaccine? That's the first thing they all say to me. Um, and, uh, you know, then when they come in, I remind them, this is experimental. Remember, you still can get COVID, you can still transmit it. So, um, but it's, it's the mass, the, um, the group think around this is just, it's so disturbing to me. I, I just, and I just wanted to share with you um, what it's like on the front line, you know, and for me, I'm raising my granddaughter. I've raised her since she was three. She's nine now. So as a single grandparent now, so, you know, for me financially, it's a risky thing because um, I am kind of thinking I'm just waiting for someone to review my notes and, you know, bring me into the office and talk to me, you know? So anyway, that's what's happening in real life. Okay. Well, first of all, congratulations. A nurse practitioner is virtually uh, on the same level of, as a physician on, on most of what they do. Uh, to have that courage is unique today. There are many, many doctors putting their whole careers on, on the chopping block. Now, they don't have to do that. They're choosing to do that, just like we're going to hear in a few moments from uh, Jimmy Lai, the person who's now spending whatever amount of time the Chinese government wants to keep him out of the spotlight because he's a magnet for organization and for freedom of speech. He chose to give up a billion-dollar fortune, all, the, uh, all of that lifestyle, to rot in a cell. And the Chinese are notorious for what they do to people once they're in captivity. Uh, it goes back to like the 18th century. On the other hand, look at you. You have the insight and knowledge of the importance of functional medicine. So I would say you're actually in a better position today than you were probably at any time in your career. Why? Because you know how to heal people. Because you used ivermectin and other natural supplements and a lifestyle dietary changes, you protected those people from getting sick to the point where they go into hospital and possibly die. So you're a lifesaver. Focus upon what you're doing. Don't focus upon the fear of what you would lose. Look at the abundance of your knowledge and the abundance of your courage rather than the scarcity that can come when you're finally challenged and thrown out of a situation. There's one other person very similar to yourself, Luann Panessi. Luann had a very comfortable job making a lot of money working long hours at Long Island Jewish Hospital as nurse administrator, overseeing over 100 nurses. She'd been there for 18 years. Once she came to the Tri-State Healing Center out of curiosity and very orthodox, and she met with and spoke with the 20 members of our medical staff and nurses, board-certified physicians, therapists, Elmira Gadol, the dentist, <clears throat> who did all the dental work and all the people. And then she saw all these over 1,000 patients with full-blown AIDS, but instead of dying using different retroviral, antiretrovirals, they were living, reversing diseases. They all had stories, and she just couldn't believe this. Time and again, she would come in the evening after she put in a full day of work, and she'd say, I just can't believe all these stories. I said, well, you think they're coached? <laughs> you think we sit around all day and say, in case Luann or anyone else comes in, tell them this? No. Everyone told the truth, but no one in medicine came to listen no one in the media dared tell that truth. In fact, I got an email yesterday from one of the listeners, long-time listener. He said he's been listening to me 50 years, but his granddaughter evidently is a, something in science, and she thinks he's crazy for not getting the vaccine and, and 
getting any advice from me because, quote, I'm an age denier of no qualification. Well, <laughs> if being not qualified means that uh, uh, I shouldn't have cured 18 people full bone and aged and kept 1,200 American citizens alive for over 20 years, none died under my care, and they all reversed their disease living normal lives, then I guess, you know, I failed. But there's no one else in all the world, in the entire planet, who did what I did. Cured a person with AIDS, cured many, and opened it up and asked people to come. But just like yourself, they don't want to know the truth. And so if someone doesn't want to know the truth, stop talking with them. You're not connecting. You're not, you're not in synergy with them. Go out into private practice. List yourself as a former nurse practitioner who chose to spend her full time counseling people, which you could do, uh, as a nurse. That way you don't have to work in under their auspices. Luann doesn't work under it. She's probably one of the top two holistic nurses in America. You could be right up there. You would have much greater success, much greater happiness, and none of the pressure. And then you start to see the average citizen cares because the patient that would be coming to you wouldn't be a patient asking about, did you get your vaccines? But rather, thank goodness I did my homework, and here's why I've chosen not to get my vaccines. So you see, this is actually a good time for you from my perspective, Cynthia, just something to think about, all right? I am. I've been thinking about it. Thank you for that. I, yeah, and I, I'm an hour and a half from New York City, so I'd love to come up and visit, um, you know, see what you're up to, too. But, um, yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I, I'm very close to, you know, stepping out of, of this and doing my own thing. And for me, I, I could not ethically live with myself if I did not help people. I mean, how could I watch somebody die when I know something that can help them? It, to me, it was just, it's a no-brainer. I have to help. So, yeah. By the way, did anyway. have you ever heard of the television series The Walking Dead? <laughs> yes, I have. Well, that to me is American medicine and science today. <laughs> you want a new cast member? Just go into any hospital in Harvard and hire some of the people there. They're just goddamn brain dead. But thank goodness you're free. Okay. Take Thanks, care, Gary. Cynthia. Take care. Bye bye. Let's, let's jump over and say. Hello to Max. Hi, Max from Manhattan. Your turn. Gary, thank you for taking my call. You do great, great work here. Um, hey, Max, I'm glad that you're on the air. Tell us what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Calm it down. Okay. I'm no more than eight cups of coffee before you, before you call me. <laughs> A little caffeine jolted there. Go ahead, Max. All Just right. having some fun um, with you. Listen, I want to thank you for bringing, showing, um, displaying the uh, Bill Gates Foundation for Population Control. That was beautiful that you were able to bring that out because, um, and I'm saying this because I've mentioned this to many people, and it's like water on a duck's back. I would suggest, I, if possible, Gary, if you can make this episode into a CD where I, where I could call up your office and I say, you know what, give me 20 of these, I'll give you my credit card and mail them to me, and I can pass these CDs out when I'm speaking to someone. It's okay, so here's what you do. Max, real, we're coming up to the end of this segment of our program. We, we have all that. Jesse, over in our studio, has that. I'll have him post it. You can download it and share it with everyone you want for free. All right? Because this is just, this is, this is almost like Sisyphus. Bill Gates is the boulder that keeps pushing back, and he is in control of who gets to the mountaintop in his world because he gives the merits of who aligns with him without questioning any of his motives. And by the way, the CDC admits 5,800 fully vaccinated people became infected with COVID and 74 died. So all those people say, I got to get the vaccine so I won't get infected. Wrong. We've told you all along. They never tested for that. Max, thank you for calling in. I'm Gary and all. Have a nice day, everyone. And thank you very much for listening.